Welcome to Moonshot, the show exploring crazy ideas and the even crazier people that are making them happen. I'm Christopher Lawson, and if you're someone who's at all into health and fitness, chances are that you've purchased some form of wearable electronics. Perhaps you've got a Fitbit or maybe an Apple Watch. Samsung also makes something. But most of this technology, no matter which brand you buy, it's actually all pretty similar. You can measure your steps, your location, even your heart rate, and they can tell you an awful lot about yourself, and all in a package that's not that much different to the size of a wristwatch. But no matter how much these devices tell you about your health, they're still the size of a watch. But what if you could take those electronics and sensors and then put them into a patch, something that you could wear against your skin and it would measure your health and your environment and you wouldn't even feel it? It would be like an electronic skin. And that's the type of moonshot technology that, as it turns out, is actually not that far away. So I'm actually uh, the only daughter of uh, two medical doctors. So they obviously for them, their biggest interest was to was to see if I wanted to become a medical doctor too. And that's what they wanted me to do. But when I was at the crossroads of deciding, you know, whether I'm going to do engineering or whether I'm going to do medicine, that was pretty much it was in the year 2000. And that was pretty much a time when computers and mobile phones were becoming, you know, a more integral part of our lives. So we bought our first computer at home. We had our first mobile phone bought around the same time. And I think I had a curiosity to actually understand how these things work and how what electronics actually does. So that was the reason I chose to do electronics and communication engineering. But in India, a lot of people actually chose to go more into IT fields. So even even back then, in spite of the fact there were so many of us doing electronics and telecommunication, that is, we still had over, I think, 80% or 90% of them went on to do IT jobs anyway. I can't code. I can't code to save my life. So for me, the only option and the more interesting option was to actually stick to electronics, stick to actually understanding how electronics works. And so when I came here to do a master's in microelectronics, and that was the first time I actually managed to go into clean rooms. Now, clean rooms are essentially, you know, rooms which are very clean because you're trying to make electronic devices in there which are so small that even an eyelash can destroy, you know, thousands of devices in just one stroke. So the idea of actually going into the clean room and be able to make electronic devices with my own hands, that was what excited me the most. And that's why I just decided to stick to this. So my name is Associate Professor Madhu Bhaskaran and I work at RMIT University where I co-lead a research group which where we do functional materials and microsystems. We do many, many kinds of research, but one of the things which I mainly lead is my work on stretchable oxide electronics. When you say stretchable oxide electronics, what are you talking about? Okay, so... Stretchable is in the sense of, you know, having a rubber band like material or a nicotine patch like material on your skin. So something which sits on your skin or sits on your clothes and which can bend and flex along with your body's movement. So that's what I mean by stretchable. Current technology like your Apple Watch is more flexible rather than stretchable. In the sense, it's more rigid, whereas stretchable is something which is much more fluid and much more conformal. Oxide, as in the materials which we use in the, in the actual electronics. So oxides are basically glass-like materials. They're not new. So every electronic device you're holding is probably going to have many, many layers of oxides in them. And it's the same oxides we're trying to, you know, incorporate into stretchable electronics. 
Now, the stretchable electronics Madhu is talking about are commonly called electronic skin, patch-like devices that you can apply to the body and which will move and behave like your regular skin. Universities across the world are working on this technology, MIT for one, the University of Colorado for another, and even the University of Tokyo is working on something similar. And the possibilities of this technology, if you can get it right, are quite vast. So in my case, I focus a lot on using these more to track external environmental factors. So things like, uh, say, pollution or a presence of a dangerous gas or tracking the amount of UV you might have exposed yourself to and things like that. Or you could imagine these to be smart contact lenses where you're essentially playing with the amount of uh, light which might be hitting your eye or interacting with your eye. Whereas a lot of research obviously happens in this field elsewhere in the world. And so there people talk about even putting these electronics within the body as well as sensing things which are more biometric related. So, you know, sensing sweat or sensing tears or, or sensing other bodily fluids to get information about the body. Or taking it a step further, you know, in, in terms of biosolvable electronics. So actually placing these electronics within the body and to do whatever functionality you need, need them to do for a specific amount of time. You talked a little bit about the materials that go into making these uh, patches. Can you explain a little bit more about those materials and how they work? The main components are two main things. So one is a stretchable rubbery substrate on which the entire sensor sits on. And that is pretty similar to contact lens type material. So as you can imagine, it's really soft, it's pliable, and it's, bi it's biocompatible as well. And it's conformal. So you want it to adhere quite closely to whatever you're sticking it on. And that's the polymeric substrate. On top of this, what actually forms the sensing layer is usually a type of oxide material. Now, based on what you want to sense, the type of oxide which you use might change. So, for instance, if you use zinc oxide, that can be used to sense certain gases and also sense the amount of UV you have exposed yourself to. If you use something like tin oxide or vanadium oxide, that senses a different array of gases. Or if you use titanium dioxide, which is more of an optical coating, so that more or less interacts, changes the interaction of, of you know, the material with light. What sort of level is this working on? Is this like a micro level? Is this a nano level? Can you explain a little bit about where this sits in the scale of technology? So the patch itself is obviously quite big. It's more macro level rather than anything else. Um, the material in the patch can be micro-sized proportions. So you could we do what I call patterning or photolithography. And that is pretty much similar to, you know, the long back in the say the 1980s before digital photography the way you used to develop actual photographs so very similar technology is actually used to form micro patterns or nano patterns so the advantage of having these oxides in micro scale or nano scale patterns is just that it seems to enhance the stretchability or lend other functionality to the applications Let's talk a little bit about that and the stretchability factor. How important is it to get these oxides like really small for your stretchability to make that aspect work? So oxides, as I, as I said before, is basically glass-like materials. And obviously glass is nowhere stretchable. It's not stretchable at all. So that's and that's what we anticipated when we actually thought we put glass in a stretchable substrate. We actually didn't expect them to actually be stretchable. You know, we just thought it's going to be brittle. It's going to crack or something like that is going to happen. and It's going to lose all functionality. What we really were pleasantly surprised by was the fact that we managed to get it transferred and also have it take the shape of overlapping plates. So the oxide is no longer just a thin continuous layer. You actually have overlapping plates of oxide material. And the minute it becomes overlapping plates, what it essentially means is even when you stretch it, those plates are still in contact with each other. 
and so you can enhance the stretchability more than say you know the typically 2 or 3% at which usually materials crack you can push this to around say 12 or 13% and the advantage of then having the ability to micro pattern them or nano pattern them enhances stretchability further so when you actually make the oxide smaller so make it say micro sized features then you enhance the stretchability up to around 15 or 16% whereas when you nano pattern them what essentially then happens is you have a very small amount of oxide which you need for functionality the majority of the actual sensor patch is the silicon polymer rubber or the stretchable substrate itself so the actual material doesn't see that much stress which makes it far more stretchable so so to say 20 or 25% and if you actually want to put these on skin or put these on clothes you do need it to be stretchable to up to around 20% or something similar because that is typically the amount of movement skin sees is that essentially so that you don't feel the patch moving or is it why do you need it to be the same stretchability as skin So it's two pronged. Yes, one is what you said. You want it to be as conformal and as stretchable so you don't really feel the pad feel it moving as much. So it's say for instance you're putting a bandaid on your skin on your finger. It lends a certain amount of stretchability but beyond certain certain other actions you do definitely feel the bandaid holding holding it in over there. The other more important aspect is the fact that these oxides they need to retain their functionality so for it to actually continue doing whatever it is supposed to do so say for instance you have a patch and you want it to sense the presence of uv or the want to keep tracking the amount of uv if you stretch it beyond a particular amount it may not actually function as a uv sensor anymore so for it to retain its functionality is the reason we're actually mainly interested in ensuring that it's stretchable and still functional As Madhu just mentioned, layering the oxides in this electronic skin and making them really really small can enhance the stretchability to the point where it actually behaves like regular skin. But it turns out those layers themselves are actually quite unique, and a good way to picture them is actually like the earth's tectonic plates. So what we actually do when the oxides are sensing is what we actually measuring is a parameter which is called electrical resistance. Now for electrical resistance to actually keep continuously being monitored you actually need the oxide to be as as a single layer or, or as possible you know you just you don't want any cracks in it you don't want it to short you don't want it to become an open circuit in some ways so what happens when you stretch these materials too much is they essentially become open circuit in other ways you do they stop giving you an electrical signal which is what you need to actually continue sensing the whatever parameter you're sensing so the fact that you actually have these in the form of overlapping plates and they were micro sized plates which are actually overlapping with each other and that's why we kind of thought it looks similar to geological plates which make up the earth's crust and we call it tectonic and the fact that it's micro sized we call it micro tectonics so as you can imagine now when you have them overlapping with each other and you're stretching it up to a certain point of time they are still in contact with each other and they don't become open circuit you can still get a sensible electrical signal out of them beyond say the 15 or 18 or 20 percent which i mentioned earlier if they become open circuit then you no longer get an electrical signal and they stop functioning as a sensor but once you again go let it go and it goes back to its original state it again goes back to becoming overlapping plates again so that allows you to you know use it within a set regime but keep reusing it so in case you do it does become open circuit that's not the end of the sensor it does recover once you set it back to its original position Okay. Cool. So you've got uh some sort of samples of what you've been working on. Can you talk a little bit about uh, about these and um describe them for me? 
So I have two samples here. So one is actually a typical silicon chip. So as you can see, it's, it's actually really rigid. You throw this on the floor, chances are it's going to break into quite a few number of pieces and you can't really recover it beyond that point. But this is exactly the technology which is sitting inside your mobile phone or your computer or your tablet. This has many, many, many devices. So you can see there are patterns in there which are really, really small. So what we actually always do, and similarly in Intel, which is what's always done is you make these on a much larger scale and then you dice them up to get many devices. So that's silicon technology and that has oxide materials in them. That's that's exactly what is essentially in my iPhone and there's just many of them and... Yep. So that particular chip, which which I'm looking at, actually has a silicon substrate. So it's a pretty hard substrate, which breaks quite easily. It has a layer of metal, basically, basically to make contact with the oxide material over there. The oxide, which is sitting there, which behaves like a memristor material, and one more layer of electrodes. So basically for you to do the testing and get electrical information out. So this next patch, uh, I can already see like a very vast difference in it. Uh, it's clear and it's translucent and it... Uh, sort of moves around it's quite flexible it is very much like a contact lens although probably feels a bit even a bit thinner than a contact lens it's a lot softer than i thought it would be so this is exactly the same thing but on a stretchable contact lens type material so as you can imagine it's and as you can see it's actually really soft it's conformal it pretty much just winds itself around my finger right now I've unfortunately dropped it and obviously it's still here. So that means it is, not, it is unbreakable. Yeah, and it's, it's exactly the same technology, but on a soft polymeric rubber. And that's what we're trying to work towards. You know, they actually they are having the ability to have patches like this, which can sit on your skin or sit on your clothes and move along with you, feel much more fluid and be transparent so you don't feel yourself wearing it and or you don't, it's quite unobtrusive in some ways. And it's also unbreakable. And we'll have more of our interview with Madhu Baskaran looking at electronic skin right after this break. Welcome back to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson, and before the break, we were speaking with Madhu Baskaran about the electronic skin that she's developing at RMIT University in Melbourne. And often a lot of big breakthroughs in science and technology are discovered by mistake. The team set out to create something else, and they make a mistake, and then all of a sudden they have a new product. The glue that made post-it notes possible was a mistake. And it turns out that the process for making this electronic skin actually work was also a bit of an accident. It actually, we discovered it by mistake. So a student, for, what we generally do is we use platinum quite a lot in like, as electrode materials and platinum never does stick to silicon. So when we put down a platinum and want, to, want it to stick to silicon, we have to use an addition layer in the middle. So we usually use titanium or titanium dioxide or something and that helps the platinum to actually stick to the silicon. I think we forgot to do the addition layer, so we ended up putting platinum on silicon and we started doing doing the entire processing on top of it without quite realizing the addition layer is kind of missing. And then we just ended up spin coating this polymer layer and peeling it off and we found the whole thing just came off. And that's when we realized the fact that we don't have an addition layer means the platinum comes off that easily. And then all we have to do is get rid of the platinum and there you have your stretchable oxide layer. Yeah, so it's kind of a eureka moment in some ways. And as always, you know, it came about because of a mistake, so... 
And how long ago was that, that, that you realized this? That was back in 2012, I think, when we were actually we actually started working on this back then. So you've been working on this for quite a while now. Yeah, yeah. And so when we did the transfer process for the first time, we did it with indium tin oxide. So indium tin oxide is a conductor layer which is there on all of your smartphones. So you know when you're when you're doing using your touchscreen on your smartphones, it's basically because you're interacting with the indium tin oxide layer on it. So it's a transparent conductive layer, and you don't have many 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 of those in the world actually. And we did it with first with indium tin oxide, and then we wanted to see if it's just a process which works just for that oxide material. So we kind of extended it to zinc oxide. And zinc oxide gave us nice gas sensing and UV sensing type applications. Then we did the same process with titanium dioxide and that gave us nice optical applications. But since then, we have done it with a few other materials as well. So it's a, it's almost like a ubiquitous you know, transfer process. Change the oxide, change the processing conditions, it still works. Now, you've probably seen videos of people working in factories in China making all the gadgets that we use every day. They're usually covered head to toe in protective gear in lab-like conditions. And making electronic skin is no different. Madhu makes these stretchable electronics in a special lab hidden in one of the buildings at RMIT. And she took me there to have a look. Plenty of warning symbols on the door. <laughs> it's one of those things which has quite, houses quite a few dangerous gases and dangerous chemicals. We need to be really careful. Okay. So what we have here is the micro nano research facility. And this is a facility which RMIT opened up in the late 2014. So it's a little over three and a half years old now. Has over 300 users. What we have here are labs which... So we have a sensor lab, which is where we do most of our gas sensing and UV sensing. But most of the other labs are actually labs where you need to wear bunny suits. So you wear suits which cover from head to toe. It's a bit different because generally when you go into a science lab, you wear a lab coat to protect yourself. Whereas here you're wearing those bunny suits to protect the lab from you because you are the contaminant. And you don't want to be in there, you know, shedding uh, parts of your skin or an eyelash or a hair or anything of that sort because as the name says, it's micro nano research facility. We're making devices which are really, really small and one eyelash or some oil stain from your hand can destroy devices quite easily. So they are very sensitive to outside uh, influence, essentially. Yep. And so we also have dangerous gases and dangerous chemicals in here. And those are mainly in place to actually allow us to process the materials because we undertake a lot of patterning steps. Like I mentioned earlier, it's a bit similar to old photography, which was done back in the 80s before you had digital photography. So there are some chemicals in here as well, which, again, you need to be mindful of. So what other sort of stages are involved in coming up with like a patch similar to what you showed me? So inside in here we have what's called, uh, we have two sets of areas. So we have a, we have what's called a class 10,000 area and we have a class 100 area. Now what that essentially means is in a class 10,000 area, there's less than 10,000 particles, which are smaller than 0.3 microns in one cubic foot of air, which means how do, how do I put it in context is the room we're standing in right now, you could probably call it a class million room or something of that sort because there's that much dust particles floating around here. The class 10,000 is where you filter the air down and has, has much lesser dust particles. The class 100 is even cleaner. So a lot of the actual patterning is actually done in the class 100 area. The class 10,000 area is where we do more of the characterization work. And so you're covering up everything when you go into these rooms, right? Like 
over your shoes, over your face, and your hair, and every every aspect of your body, right? Yep, we have even beard covers. So for people who have beards, we have to have beard covers as well. So, yeah. So with the polymer work which I showed you, so the contact lens type material is actually a very sticky material and it's quite a messy material. So we have a separate lab just to work on that particular material. So what happens is actually it's extremely sticky and it goes everywhere and it's messy. But once it's cured, which is what, which is the kind of chip which you touched, which was after it was cured, it's obviously it's not messy anymore. So we have a separate lab where unless it's cured, it doesn't leave the lab. So just, just to ensure that contamination from that lab doesn't permeate through to the other labs. And that's all is done in the, in the class 100 area. So that's where we actually, we put on our oxide layers and we do those kind of things in the class 10,000 area, but we actually do the patterning and the work with the polymeric material in the class 100 area. And once it's all done, we then bring it out for testing. And how long does that process take? We could do the entire thing within a day, like, you know, making, making these chips across many, many four inch diameter silicon wafers, which is what we generally work on before we actually transfer it over to the polymeric material. The whole thing can be done within a matter of a day. And this is obviously like a very different scale to if you would say mass producing them to like take this from what you're doing now to the point where it is like a commercial product, like what's sort of involved in that process? I think it depends on, you know, the particular application you're looking at. You may not necessarily need to do all these things if it's one particular niche application. What we've developed is a technology which can be taken and modified and adapted based on the end user and the end application you're using it for. Intel or, you know, any semiconductor lab obviously has very similar equipment and can process much larger wafers and therefore can upscale it quite easily. But you need not be an Intel or, you know, an IBM to actually do this. It's quite cheap technology. It's cheap uh, materials as well. So if, say, you don't have the necessity to microscale it or nanoscale it and you're quite happy to work with the oxide layer as it is, you actually don't need a lot of steps which I actually mentioned. When you chart a path of technology over the past 50 or 60 years, it's been clear that every couple of years technology gets smaller, while the capabilities of that technology increase. Moore's Law says that every two years the number of transistors on a chip will double. And with that has come the ability to make really, really small and powerful devices. There is more power on your iPhone than what was involved in sending man to the moon. Now, the electronic skin that Madhu is working on is not a finished product yet. But after touching the patches, to my mind, it feels like this technology is actually really, really close. And Madhu says that every time they talk about this technology, the possibilities of where these patches could be used is increasing as well. So whenever we put down a put out a media release on this, you know, it kind of just opens our eyes up to so many more applications because we get a lot of people coming and saying, oh, can you use the patch to do this? Or, you know, how about this particular application? Like somebody suggested we could put this on wooden furniture because wooden furniture degrades with time and it outgasses. So it actually re- releases a gas called formaldehyde. So somebody asked, can you put these patches and thereby, you know, track the way wooden furniture is deteriorating with time? So, I mean, these are obviously things which we would never think about, you know. For us, our mind kind of goes in more obvious directions, I guess. Gases is is a huge possibility because there are so many different types of gases and so many different types of things which we need to take into consideration. So, pollution is one. We also want to track dangerous gases. And if you talk to people in defense, detecting explosive gases is, again, something which is very important. UV, UV again, has quite a few 
beyond just skin cancer it has other applications as well so for instance using that to track the amount of vitamin d production in the blood is something which is important burns victims for instance they actually feel that vitamin d is quite significant in the healing process from the burns so you know using these uv patches can actually have applications beyond just sensing the amount of uv and telling you to put on more sunscreen it can have other more biology or you know health related things also which you can cover and besides that we also spoke about the smart contact lenses and things like that that again is a completely new or new way of experiencing you know life so for instance i was talking about how a phone still has a bulky area at the back because cameras generally use lenses which are curved whereas this technology has the ability to have optical materials in a flat encapsulated sense with the stretchable polymeric material so the idea of actually having flat lenses and thereby not having any curvature and keeping everything very streamlined is again a possibility as well i think in the health space a lot of people have been working on trying to develop these so that you don't have to stay in hospital just to you know have your vital statistics monitored you could have the ability to put on one of these patches go home and have the ability to send the data to the doctor I would never want these patch patches to actually take over diagnostics. I think that is something which we still need human minds and human brains working at. But the ability to actually not having to go to a lab to collect simple amount of information which you can collect yourself with a patch. That is something which I think is quite groundbreaking. It will take a bit of time because not so much because the technology is there, but it's more the amount of approvals and regulations which you need to go through, but that is something which I think will prob- probably hit the market in another 5 years time. If you love Moonshot, then make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We're also on Spotify, Google Play Music, Pocket Cast, Overcast, and any other podcasting app. So subscribe to the show to make sure that you get the latest Moonshots whenever we release them. Moonshot is a production of Lawson Media, and it's hosted by me, Christopher Lawson, and also Andrew Moon. Andrew Millist designed our amazing cover artwork, and Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme track. You can find out more about Moonshot by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram. Just search for Moonshot Pod. Join us next time on Moonshot as we explore more ideas that are changing your future.